It is what we're thinking about, and what we're thinking about is evolved communication. Hello, and welcome to the Mile High Church Podcast. This is the place where we connect and converse to explore communication in our relationships, our social world, inner development, and spirituality. Today, we open our hearts and we get real. So this is uh, Barry Ebert. We're back with what we're thinking about. So glad to be with you today. And uh, I got a good friend of mine with me today, Reverend Masano Hiroko. We've known each other for a long, long time. And uh, we're going to be talking about evolved communication in the social aspect of lives. And uh, we've gone through a lot in the last year, um, you know, politically, socially, so many different ways that we've been kind of separated from each other, and now we're coming out of hibernation and getting back together. And uh, just wanted you to uh, kind of throw some of your thoughts at us, Masando, of uh, what do you see happening right now socially in our culture and ways that we can uh, we can tie this thing together. Yeah, I mean, this past year has been so crazy, of course. And, you know, not only was it a, a global pandemic, but we... Uh, you know, had an election year in the midst <laughs> of of a time in when in which we're already kind of distancing ourselves from each other. Right? Like we're, I think our reliance upon social media became even a little bit greater this time to continue to stay connected. And social media, as we've seen, is like this double edged sword. We've seen the the gifts of it and, you know, seeing pictures of our friends and, um, and, you know, grandkids and, you know, all, all of these ways in which you can, you can keep it in touch with a large amount of people and, uh, do so in a way where you can still get a feel of what's going on in people's lives. But I think what we've also seen is kind of one of the dangers of, uh, of social media. And I think Brene Brown talks about this a lot is the ways that it has the ability to put us into like these these bunkers or these echo chambers where we really have control of the, you know, voices and opinions and even news sources. I know you did a talk about, you know, making sure that we're really, you know, checking our news sources as much as we can, like even as a spiritual practice, but there can be a tendency on social media to only surround ourselves with and friend people that have the same points of view, have the same political points of view, have the same worldviews as you, and then even de-friend, like unfriend people that don't. So if that's your kind of connection point um, to the reality of what's going on in the world, you you most likely could get into like a whole digital world in which you can have only one point of view and, and feel like that's the only one that, that does and should or could exist. Yeah. And I think it's kind of led us to a, uh, uh kind of a digital tribalism, you know, th- yeah. because we can break ourselves into tribes, uh, of somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And, and it's very, uh, it's easy, just a couple of clicks and you can find people that agree with you. And I think, um, when we're talking about the issues that are confronting us today, we have a, uh, an opportunity to open up to new opinions and new ideas because there's so much stuff available, or we also have a uh, a tendency to move towards uh, what we might talk as uh, confirmation bias, mm-hmm. to look for people who agree with us and to keep building the same case around ourselves. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because we've talked some about that before, about confirmation bias and seeking that information that's going to support what we thought about all along. 
Totally. They've done, they've done some studies around this, and I just find it to be so fascinating. This thing called confirmation bias is a phenomenon that exists within all of us, right? So none of us are really free from these things. When they when you talk about bias, it's something that we, we all have. Um, but confirmation bias is, is this phenomenon uh, that says uh, all of us are more likely when we have a particular point of view or a belief. And sort of the d- deeper the belief, the, the, the more often and sort of um, the more profound this experience is. But when we have a belief about something, we are very likely to take in information that confirms that and have that even uh, create a deeper belief while simultaneously disregarding any information uh, that may go against it. Right, and it's kind of a natural thing, and you know they do, they did the, I think the they did some of these studies um, with a group of folks around climate change, right? Folks that really uh, believed in climate change, and, and folks that uh, didn't, right? Like didn't believe climate change, or perhaps be- maybe believed it real, was real, but perhaps not, you know, um, you know, human uh, made, and they found that both groups like just dug in their heels and they're presented with the same information on both sides, right? And both groups dug in their heels yeah. and affirmed the information that agreed with them and just disregarded and was like, that's, you know, hogwash uh, of, of the information that, that didn't. And this happens to all of us. And it's a phenomenon that, that I think we're all hoping to come into a, some awareness of um, because the, you know, despite that, the, the way that we can, you know, kind of combat it is just by realizing it's even happening within us. I agree. And and I think the, uh, you know, the thing that we've always prided our culture on is that we're a culture of science, mm-hmm. you know, and that we were able to uh, look at new scientific information. And so much of our education as we're going through school is about, uh, you know, science and learning about things. And then we get to a certain point where the uh, the balance between science and emotion mm-hmm. and the way that our emotion drives our thinking rather than being the other way has been um, a part that I think has really been uh, inflamed a lot by social media as well. Yes. That science kind of gets pushed aside and, and we're not able to take in the information if we don't like it or if it challenges the view that we already had. And we we have a tendency to stick with our narratives even though science might refute those. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I think the... The title of this NPR show where I was listening to this uh, uh, professor being interviewed about all of this was, you know, facts uh, don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just the idea that like, you know, and you see this happening on social media or Facebook or whatever uh, you, you, you know, whatever social media space that you're inhabiting. But you see like these arguments go down <laughs> and there's all of these articles, right? Like when you see these battles coming and you like, you see a comment section and you're like, oh, these two are about to get into it. And so <laughs> you can see it happening. And there's always like in every interaction, one kind of like this demeaning language, you know, just like people really talking down and taking a shot. Yeah. Well, like name calling, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. And then you could just see it, you know, escalating uh, and deteriorating all at once. Uh, and there's always like, you know, articles that people will post to back up whatever point of view. <laughs> yeah. And they're both posting articles, both of which are, you know, just confirming their own point of view, neither of whom is actually reading the other article, or even if they do happen to click and, and browse over it, or like, this is all ridiculous, or this is from a source that obviously is fake news, you know, <laughs> like, that's a, that's a, you could just see this phenomenon happening in real time, often, if you're, you know, you happen to catch one of these arguments on Facebook. 
Well, how, how does, you know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is how does, how does a voice cut through? Like yeah. we study the great spiritual voices, the great teachers who, who've come before us. And so how does a, how does a voice cut through and um, uh, build trust? Build yeah, trust in no, the culture totally. that might be able to bridge the uh, the narratives that are separating people. How, how can we do that? And yeah. is, is it about hope or is it about fear or how how does a voice break through? Yeah, I think. Well, there's a couple things um, that I think can happen. Um, another sort of brain science thing that I I, I uh, learned about when I was up at the Parliament World of Religions. I think I uh, shared about this in a talk recently. Um, is there's this phenomenon that you know our our brain is is naturally creating these in groups and out groups in our world, right? Of people that we trust, people that we consider to be part of our inner circle, uh, people that we feel like we align with, and then people we don't, right? And you know, evolutionarily, this was really important because we had to know like who was friendly and who was not when there was you know cultures of of kind of uh, you know like warring nations, um, and. But that sort of evolutionary thing never went away. And what they found is like when they started doing studies and looking at people's brains, when they showed a picture of someone that was in their in-group, the same part of their brain lit up that lights up when you think about yourself, right? So literally empathy is happening. Like you're seeing that person as yourself if they're part of your in-group. And conversely, when they showed a picture of someone from their out-group or someone who was on the other side of whatever line they've drawn in the sand, uh, the part of the brain that lit up is the same part of the brain that lights up when you think about an object, or a subject, right? So mm-hmm. there's dehumanization happening yeah. in our brain when we're drawing these lines in the sand. And so I think one of the things that we uh, can realize um, is that we are actually dehumanizing people, like kind of on a daily basis, especially if we're, you know, find ourselves engaging in these ways where, you know, we're seeing people that are on our side and people that aren't. Right. And, you know, I think one of the ways that we can combat that when what they found within the same NPR show talked about um, fear is really good at, at getting people not to do something and kind of dig in. Right. Like fear is really good at, at creating inaction. Hope, what they found is is the, the greatest uh, on average thing that can inspire action or change yeah. or something different. Yeah. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think as we move out of this isolation thing, a lot of the narratives that we've created are things that we're watching, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're things that we're watching or listening to that confirm what we already believed. And now we're going to go out into the world, take our masks off and kind of build new communities, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that... Um, that choice between hope and fear is going to be one of the big things mm. that determines what kind of communities we build together. And to make mm-hmm. our, if our communities are going to be more diverse, which I know is a big part of your work, mm. we're going to have to move past our fears and to mm-hmm. really see other people, uh, not as objects, but as people like us and yeah. to, to light up a different part of our brain, to Literally, put it that way. A little different part of our brain, a different part of our heart, a different part of our, our body. I think spirituality comes into this because I think it asks us to move into a different part of our brain. Yeah, It, it kind of calls us out of fear and into a place of trust. It calls us out of a place of reacting to a place of being, uh, in, a, in a place of being. 
it calls us into a place where uh, I believe in this thing called oneness. Uh, and I believe that like my life and your life, it's all interconnected. Uh, and that brings us out of, I think, the in-groups and out-groups. I think it calls us into a way of hope, right? Because we also have this, I mean, one of the most amazing things about Maha'i Church and uh, the New Thought philosophy, you know, that we're all seeking to, to try and live by is the fact that no matter what things look like right now in our individual lives and in our collective lives, like we can, we can change it. We can shift it. We can come back to a, a, a truth of the truest truth, right? The truest truth of, of joy and peace and love as the, really the core of who we are. And I think, I think that's perhaps the call of our time. Like as we're coming back out, like I feel the fear that uh, is still present when I'm walking around in public. Right. Yeah. But I also feel the hope of being in a crowded concert, Again, you know, I feel the magic of what that is when you're around a bunch of humans who the majority of whom you don't know, but who you are feeling a connection to through, you know, whatever experience you're having together coming to church, right? Yeah. There is something numinous, something undescribable that happens when we're all in a room and we're all dialed into the message or to the music. We're all feeling it in our own personal way but we we know like everybody else in the room is also having this experience like this spiritual experience yeah (laughs) and and, you can't duplicate that yeah and to not be uh so suspicious of the other people in the room to kind of let our guard down to be around other people i think that's something that we're relearning we're going to have to relearn that now how to get back how to go to a concert uh, you know, at Red Rocks with 10,000 people and, and, and to be not only comfortable with it, but to feel that sense of joy and elation and, and to just that expansion of the tribe and something that we have in common. I think that that's something that we're all seeking, but yeah. we're going to have to kind of relearn it. And I think yeah. the, uh, uh, you know, all of the great spiritual leaders who we follow have tried to urge us to go beyond the tribe that we're in yes. and to open to other people and we get that lesson over and over but each of us has to do it individually and to do that work individually to expand expand where we are and I think the point that you brought up about the difference between um, hope and fear and that fear has a tendency to stop us from Mm -hmm. doing things hope has a tendency to uh, inspire us to move to a place we haven't been before and to um to not dig in so much on our narrative, but to be open to the world around us. And yeah. uh, uh, we got to remain optimistic. You feeling you optimistic? You, you know, I have to, right? Like, I think it's it's something that we have to rely upon uh, to be hopeful about our future, to be hopeful about our political divide right now, right? It it feels ugly. Like, it feels ugly yeah. right now. Yeah. It, and people are taking, you know, shots at each other all the time. And I have to have hope that, okay, this is the way it is now, but it doesn't always have to be this way. You know, yeah. that, that there can be something that actually 
we can all work towards together, you know, that we can have different um, views uh, uh, about how to get there, but hopefully we can have uh, a common goal, you know, around the, the kind of uh, society and the, and the ways that we live together. And I have a lot of hope for just finding our way back to each other. I've just been thinking about that, that phrase a lot, like just finding our way back to each other. And, yeah. you know, it's going to be, it could be a little messy, Right. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we can do things and we can, we can engage in spiritual practices uh, to help us do that, to help us come out of fear and, and more into hope, to help us, you know, realize when we're dehumanizing someone and recognizing, wow, that's my brother, you know, right there. That's my sister right there. Uh, that's my, you know, family member of this planet that we're sharing together. Oh, like I want to care for this person, even if we don't agree on this and even if we can't see the same thing in the same way. But you matter to me. You matter enough, you know, for me to, to, to care about you enough not to dehumanize you, to rehumanize you so that, like, so that my uh, experience of oneness can expand and grow and be a real thing in my life. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, the thing that I think you're bringing up is it really is a person-to-person thing. Yeah. And, and the, um, you know, the 24-hour news cycle and social media is really uh, focused on conflict i mean conflict is is what sells it's money in and, and uh, uh the commerce of conflict is yeah. what i call it and and so we have to as individuals separate ourselves from that narrative and mm-hmm. do our individual work with the people that are around us and keep trying to expand that tribe that we're in to let more people in and to move into uh, other types of social situations and to and to be of more service and uh you know, I think that that's what's up now because we're going to rebuild communities. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're going to go back to where we were. Mm-hmm. We got we got to go someplace. We got to go someplace new that we've never been before. And to yeah. me, that's the exciting thing because each of us have an individual opportunity now to uh, to be a part of creating something new. That's that's great. Yeah, that, and that's a hopeful message right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we have to take everything from this past year. Um, do the real grief work uh, and and just, you know, I think self-reflection that we've all gained a deeper ability to do uh, during this time and lean into, yeah, like this is this time that we're moving into right now. This this is really exciting, yeah. actually. And yeah. it's a tremendous opportunity. Yeah. And yeah, our interpersonal just ripples out to the social, you know, to to how we're just being and living together. Uh, and that starts with, you know, every interaction that you have. And, um, I think, you know, what I want to always take away is, uh, from that idea of hope and fear of fear creates inaction and hope creates, you know, change and, and, and action is like, you know, what kind of energy am I communicating with when I'm on social media? Yeah. You know, what message am I giving? you know, putting out there. Um, can I speak truth and can I end that speaking of truth with a message of hope of how things can be different? Yeah. You know, can I draw our attention to something that's not working, but leave folks with, uh, that feeling of, uh, something new can emerge Mm -hmm. once we have this understanding that it's not working now. Yeah, we do this in our personal lives. We do this in our, you know, family lives and marriages, and we can do this together as a society as well. Yeah, and how is how is my voice showing up in this group? Uh, I right. think that that's, 
I think that's something we all want to take more responsibility for because, yes. you know, we've been uh, kind of locked in our own little Zoom rooms for over a year now. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, it, social media has us, um, an anonymity about it that gives people an opportunity to take those shots. And some people just like watching it. Some people just like watching them. it, right? Uh, but I think that if we're if we're going to build better communities and communities that are more just and that are more open, yes, uh, we have to we have to rise above that kind of communication. And that's I think the uh, you know the essence of what we've been talking about here is evolving the ways that we communicate yes. with each other. So I think that's that's what we're up to. Yeah, uh, I think that's the call of our time. Yeah, I, I don't think any of the I don't think any of the conflict ultimately feels good i think it may give us a little hit of dopamine in the moment you yeah know what i mean yeah. like ooh, i'm right i just put that person in their place that felt so good i'm right but, you know but just a little bit after that it probably doesn't yeah right? like it never actually feels good to make someone feel bad about themselves yeah in any way like that never actually feels good but the hit that you get at the beginning because maybe you're in a defensive space you know, that could be the thing that we end up going to. And so evolving is just recognizing that that's happening and there's just like another way. I agree. Hey, um, it's great having you here, by the way. Oh, so I fun. love getting to talk to you. And yeah. I was wondering if you might lead us in a little bit of a, a little bit of a process and kind of take us, uh, take us a little deeper on this thing about, um, uh, seeing other people as real. Uh, yes, yes. So, uh, this is, um, this exercise is, uh, one that comes out of the Buddhist tradition. Um, but it's one to generate compassion and, you know, really compassion is this, you know, the, the root of compassion, um, the etymology rather just means to feel deeply with another person. Um, and so this exercise is meant to really, uh, guide us through that, uh, very intentionally. So, yeah, let's just get into it. Uh, so, you know, wherever you're at, I just invite you, you know, if you're walking around, uh, continue to listen to this without having to close your eyes, but just allow yourself to be part of the process. But if you're in a place where you can really, um, you know, go to that uh, place of your inner mind uh, and connecting with your heart and your your inner wisdom, I just invite you to, to just, you know, fall in uh, to that place right now. And come to recognize and just remember in this moment uh, how deeply at one we are with this thing called love, this loving energy presence of the universe, with the peace that resides and abides at the center of it all. We just come into a remembrance of all of the ways in which that exists uh, right here at the center of our being. And as we come into this place where we remember our, our, our oneness, you know, our unity with with all that is, I invite you to, you know, bring up a, a person in your mind, just in your mind's eye very quickly, uh, that you have an easy time getting along with, with someone that's in your in-group. It could even be someone you put up on a pedestal, you know, maybe someone you hold above you. And with your attention on that person in your mind's eye, as you're just thinking about this person, and if your eyes are closed, as you're really just seeing them, like sitting there in front of you, just invite you to say these words to yourself as you, as you think about or look at them. Just like me, this person is seeking some happiness for their life. 
just like me. This person is trying to avoid suffering. Just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Just like me, this person is seeking to fulfill their needs. And just like me, this person is learning about life. So as you breathe into that, I just feel the ways in which that perhaps had any transformative effect on your brain or your body or your being and just allow that person to gently fade from your mind's eye now. Now I just invite you to, to bring someone into your mind who may like kind of be invisible. Maybe someone who uh, you see at the coffee shop or maybe someone who's experiencing homelessness that you drive by. Someone who kind of you feel is kind of like invisible in your life in some way or in society in some way. And as you bring that person into your mind, just invite you to say these words. Just like me, this person is seeking some happiness for their life. Just like me, this person is trying to avoid suffering. Just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Just like me, this person is seeking to fulfill their needs. And just like me, this person is learning about life. as you breathe into that, again, just notice if there's been any change in your being in any way and have some appreciation for that. And we'll do this just one more time. And now as that person gently fades from your mind's eye, I invite you to bring someone up in your brain who you may have put on the other side of the line, who has become a part of an outgroup in some way in your life. And with your attention on this person, I just invite you to say these words. Just like me, this person is seeking some happiness for their life. Just like me, this person is trying to avoid suffering. Just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Just like me, this person is seeking to fulfill their needs. And just like me, this person is learning about life. So I invite you just to take a deep breath, a cleansing breath. And just again, notice if there's any shift or change or evolution that has happened in your being at all. And just give thanks for the ways in which we are always able to find our way back to one another. Just give thanks for this thing called life and the ways that it continually invites us back into remembering our truth of our, our oneness, of our humanity, and of the hopeful thought that we can live in a world that works for everyone, that we can live out of hope more than fear, that we can truly uh, live in a world 
where each and every person is loved and celebrated and embraced. So it's with that we just allow this sacred time um, to continue to work on us as we go about our day and we let it be. And so it is. Thank you for that, Masano. Very much. Very much. So uh, it's been great having you here today, and I really appreciate your insight. Great conversation. So fun. And we will we will talk again soon. Let's do it. Thank you for being here with us today, and uh, keep communicating out there. Do your best. <laughs>